Is it time for a mind shift? If you don't know what that means, then join your host, Dr. Clint Haycock, a former evangelical Christian pastor and Bible college teacher of over 20 years, along the journey of deconstruction and reconstruction of faith, life, religion, and spirituality. I'm talking today with Henning Mehta, the friendly atheist himself. Welcome to Mindshare Podcast. Hey, Clint. Thank you. So glad that we finally were able to make this happen. We were messaging each other months ago. Yeah. And we said, okay, right now it's, it's crazy going on with the election <laughs> and all the aftermath. Yeah. And I coach, a, I coach a high school public speaking team, which sounds totally weird and nerdy, but it's super competitive. <laughs> right. And we just finished our playoffs. So like season's over, I can calm down for a bit. It's all good. Right. So I didn't know there was a season for competitive. There is a, all that kind of thing. yeah, totally. Really uh, into it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You learn something new every day. You see, yeah. I'm already glad I talked to you. So I'm really interested. I did a lot. I've done a lot of reading, obviously, of your articles on the friendly atheists on Patheos. I'm fascinated by what you're doing, because as I said before, we hit record. I think we have a lot in common in terms of we're trying to educate, but yet without being just combative. That Mm. must be I'm sure we'll get into the friendly part of the the friendly atheist. What's your backstory? Because I understand you did come out of religion, but not evangelical Christianity. That's right. So I was raised in a family that is Jain. It's J-A-I-N. It's a smaller Indian religion that kind of preaches nonviolence more than anything else, which is wonderful. That sounds great. They also have a lot of supernatural beliefs about heaven and hell and karma and reincarnation. And that's the stuff I began questioning when I was younger. And at some point, you know, when you start researching it and trying to come to terms with your own thoughts about all that stuff. I realized I don't think I believe in any of that stuff. Uh, philosophically, it's all well and good, the the nonviolent aspect, but not the supernatural stuff. But I don't think I can call myself a Jane if I'm just not buying into the supernatural stuff. And so I became an atheist. And then later on, when I was in college, I had the chance to work with some organizations, get to know like, oh, there's there are actually activists who do this sort of thing. They're not just atheists like me. They're atheists who want to try to influence policy and politics. And that's really fascinating. And so I got involved with some of these groups. And eventually I just began writing about these issues on my own. Yeah, so it's really fascinating because most of the atheists that I've talked to, I mean, I would consider myself probably more of an agnostic. Yeah. I come out of fundamentalist Christianity as an evangelical. And so for me, I have still a lot of questions. <laughs> so yeah, I'm I, working through a lot of stuff myself. One thing I've found is that a lot of the atheists I've interacted with are coming from a similar type of background. And that also gives me a chance to maybe come at it from a different angle, certainly years ago, less so than mm-hmm. now. But um, I didn't have that you know, baggage, for lack of a better word, because I wasn't coming from the dominant religion in my country. So it's like, Okay, I can I'm not uh traumatized by things other people I knew had gone through in their churches mm. or through their religion. It's true. Yeah, religious trauma syndrome is definitely a thing. 
I've experienced it. I'm still yeah. working through stuff. I mean, I, I was raised in fundamentalist Christianity. So my background, yeah, very much so rapture, anxiety, fear yeah. of hell, all it's of those intense. things. Yeah, it really is. So Jainism didn't do that to you then. Is that what you're saying? No, it really wasn't harmful in any meaningful way. I mean, look, you can get extreme even when it comes to nonviolence mm -hmm. and stuff. But I mean, if I'm being realistic, no, it, it didn't harm me in any serious way. It was just teaching me that I should believe in things for which there's no evidence. And at some point it's like, I don't think I can, I, I don't feel comfortable doing that. Um, mm -hmm. And I haven't changed that position since I was younger. But uh, yeah, philosophically, again, like I've heard atheists say, listen, religion is bad and extremism religion is really bad. But hmm. Jainism's kind of fine. I've heard that from like hardcore <laughs> atheists and i'm here to say like no it can it can get too far as well fasting sometimes they fast mm -hmm. long holidays uh, or for several days on end but they go extreme with it too and i've read stories a few and far between about people who have literally starved sometimes it ends not well like mm -hmm. but i'm just saying like even for a religion that preaches nonviolence, it also comes with extremism and the whole point to that is we ought to be critical thinkers. I mean, say what you will about Christianity and Christian apologists. I do kind of begrudgingly appreciate the fact that they go head to head with what they feel are hard questions. Mm -hmm. I think they're still wrong, but it's like you're trying. That's a nice start. Most people don't think about any of this stuff. And to people like us, it's like these are pretty important, heavy questions that we've spent a lot of time thinking about. Most people spend zero time thinking about it. Mm -hmm. And it's like, so look, for the people who actually say, uh, and I say this to religious, uh, of religious people too, like, look, if you've studied this stuff, you looked into it, you want to learn about it, and you happen to come to a different conclusion than I do, I mean, so be it. But I mm -hmm. appreciate the people who actually try to think about this stuff, because it seems like these are some of the biggest questions we can grapple with. Yeah, they're huge. The big questions, life's big questions. Yeah. What's it all about? Well, even this thing about you were mentioning Jainism, it strikes me that even within that seemingly, okay, it's a nonviolence religion. The most are vegetarian. They don't hurt any animals from what I understand, not even a right, fly right. or a, a mosquito or whatever. But yet you can have a fundamentalist Jain, it sounds like in your description of it, mm -hmm. any religion, any belief system, there, there can be fundamentalism. That seems to be right. inescapable human nature, isn't it? Someone's right. doing it better, and so I've got to be better than that person. And <laughs> I can look down my nose at them because they didn't fast or whatever. Yeah, it is. that's exactly it. And that goes for, I mean, again, it's easy to call out fundamentalism when it's hurting other people mm -hmm. or even when it's hurting yourself. I think just because Jainism is uh, not as popular, not as well known as other religions, it sometimes gets a pass because mm -hmm. people don't know about that extremism. You hear like the one sentence Wikipedia description of a religion you're not familiar with. It's like, oh, yeah, I can get behind that. And when you actually talk to practitioners who know the nuances a little more, it's like, no, there's some problems with it, too. <laughs> yeah. That goes for everything, you know, not just religion. It's but It's true. Every religion has its spectrum, doesn't it? Of extreme yeah. to liberal to extreme, whether you're talking about Islam, Christianity, Judaism, right. Mormonism, even Jainism, it sounds like you've yeah. got that spectrum. There's always this thing. I mean, my experience of Christian fundamentalism, that's sort of the driving force, isn't it? That we have we have this belief that we're right in our whatever our core beliefs are. Right. And therefore others are wrong. 
And it's our job to point that out and to call them out and you need to get into all that. kind Right. Of stuff. And, and of course, everyone thinks they're right about everything. Exactly. I mean, when it comes to that sort of thing. So that in itself isn't an issue. But yeah, when it comes to I have to proselytize to them, they're all going to burn in hell for eternity. Yeah. And honestly, even that doesn't really bother me because I don't care what they think. They're wrong. Whatever. I can live with that. It's at least for me, the thing that really where the rubber hits the road is when they're saying we have to pass these laws because of my faith. And now it's affecting me or it's affecting people I know when it comes to women's rights or LGBTQ issues, things like that. It's like, okay, now you are it's there. Your fundamentalism is hurting other people. It's not just you being wrong because I can let that slide. You know what I mean? It's it's when you're actively hurting other people. We've we've seen it during the pandemic, too. Absolutely. And still seeing it. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Did you find when you came out as an atheist? I I wonder I was going to ask you this question. You said, well, I'm an atheist uh, out of Jainism, (laughs) not out of evangelical Christianity. like Most people would expect I'm rejecting the Christian God. You weren't Mm -hmm. rejecting the Christian God. You were an atheist out of Jainism. Did you find that people didn't know what to, to make of that? I think that's the accurate description. And to be fair, I didn't really come out to anybody for a long time because it's a hard thing to just grapple with leaving religion in itself. So it's not like I was bragging to people. Mm -hmm. I was an atheist. But when I finally felt comfortable with the word, yeah, they didn't know what to make of it. Because again, the little bit they knew about Jainism is if you look up some academic definition of what it is they actually don't believe in a creator god jainism so they're like oh so it must not have been a big leap for you well it certainly felt that way to me because i grew up in a family that taught me to pray to god believe in god not in a weird traumatic way but it's like i feel like i i had to go through a pretty big mental leap there it wasn't a Mm -hmm. small little step over so yeah it, it was they didn't know necessarily know what to make of the atheism. But again, when I came out, it was mostly to people I felt comfortable telling. And again, I was lucky that I didn't really face any backlash that I felt. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, I've had it easier. I definitely recognize now it's harder for someone like you who is leaving a fundamentalist Christian past to mm-hmm. make any leap in any direction in, in the direction out of that than it was for me. Mm-hmm. I've met plenty of other uh, Indian people, Jains, who have kind of come out in the same way. It's it's easier for sure. Not easy, but easier. Yeah, it's it's something I've definitely heard from a lot of other atheists. They they decide who to come out to and how to do it. And you don't yeah. have to come out to everybody. It like some glorious ceremony, and you're just burning every bridge. I mean, even now, it's it's different now because I'm more public about this stuff. But it's not necessarily the first thing you would know if we just met randomly, you know, it's not the thing that would stand out unless we were talking about it. But then it seems like at some point in your sort of trajectory as an atheist, you started getting involved in, wait a minute, I need to start studying other religions. Out of that comes this book, I Sold My Soul on eBay. So what happened with that whole experience? So this was in college where I had started to get active with some atheist groups. Most of the people I met through those, these are like national organizations that do Mm -hmm. activism or advocacy work. And most of those people are coming from Christianity. And I know about it because, I mean, I live in the country. I know the people like I've experienced it. Yeah, I've experienced it secondhand. But again, it's different when you haven't experienced it firsthand 
And also I realize I know only whatever you would learn in school about other religions. I haven't really experienced them. I probably don't know much nuance with the religions. And there is a part of me that says, this is something I should know just for the sake of knowledge, not mm -hmm. because there's anything to them, but because if you want to be well-versed in these things, certainly if you want to talk about religion, it helps to know the landscape. Sure. And so, yeah, I did this thing after college sometime when I was in the middle of a time in my life when I'm like, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do with my life, where mm -hmm. I basically said, I can post on eBay that I'll go to church, mosque, synagogue, I don't care, to the highest bidder. I'll document it. Uh, I'll donate the money. I don't really care about that. Mm. I thought it would be just a stupid little fun experiment. And it turned out it got more attention. But a pastor, a pastor won the auction for over 500 bucks. Wow. And he basically said his whole shtick was, there was a guy who bid on me. I know about this later on, uh, who said, I wanted you to come to my church for 50 weeks. I would have owed him. <laughs> But the guy who won the auction said, listen, I'm a Christian. I hate church, too, because I think they're all doing I think they're doing it wrong. Oh, and yeah. he's pretty hardcore about like, no, I, I do want you to convert. But I also think it would be more interesting to have you since you've never experienced these churches firsthand. Why don't you go to a bunch of them who are literally trying to appeal to atheists like you? Like they say that these are seeker services. They want yeah. you to come there go there, go undercover, just go and tell me what you find there because he could use that information, take it back to these pastors and say, listen, I sent somebody to your church. They hated it. What are you <laughs> going to do? What are you going to do to change it? Because I want you to win converts. That was his philosophy. What it was great. Strategy. Yeah. So totally. You were like an undercover agent for this guy's missional strategy. That, oh, that's yeah. hilarious. <laughs> and uh, and I didn't necessarily mind. I knew what he was doing. I didn't mind it because I was learning a lot too because sure. I genuinely learned about a wider wider spectrum of Christianity than what I knew about, even mm -hmm. having been immersed in that world for a little while. Like there were plenty of churches where I'm like, I could easily be a part of this congregation. They're, they're mm -hmm. awesome. I look at what they're doing with their time and their money. I, I can't argue with it. It's good stuff. It's not preaching. It's mm -hmm. genuinely trying to help make people's lives better. That's wonderful. There were plenty where I'm like, holy crap, I can't believe all these people surrounding me believe this stuff. Right. Get me um, out of here. Yeah, get me out of here. Um, And some that were just, they weren't snake handling, but like they were pretty hardcore and crazy in my opinion. Mm -hmm. But again, it, it was a variety and I saw a bunch a of it process. and I, I wrote about it this was this was uh, what 2006 ish to the point where mm -hmm. if I'm blogging about this stuff, there was actually a pretty nice comment thread of people interacting who didn't agree necessarily, but some of them were like, okay, you experienced this, but I think you're misinterpreting what you're seeing. Let me try to help you. A lot mm -hmm. of Christians and atheists said, you know what? I went to a church like that. I hated it. I feel the same way. That is why I left. It was a good productive conversation. Mm -hmm. I got a chance to write a book where I visited a whole bunch of other churches too, um, for the same, same kind of experiment up targeted to a Christian audience, that book. But yeah, it was an awesome serendipitous learning experience that just kind of worked, even though it was a stupid little experiment. Mm -hmm. But one of the cool things that came of that is after I was done writing about my church visits, I kind of got the bug of, I kind of like writing about what I'm experiencing and watching these comments because where else do you get a conversation like that? Mm -hmm. And so that actually was the impetus to FriendlyAtheist.com, the blog I now write, um, which is all 
current events really these days. But the inception of it was, I just kind of want to talk about my thoughts and what I'm thinking about these religions and these issues, because I kind of like that back and forth. And I wasn't seeing much of a space for that. And so that's kind of where the website came from. And that's how I got involved with all this online stuff, really. Yeah, because I was reading about your early sort of activism, like you said, going to churches and then suddenly kind of stumbling across this whole community, very organic experience. It sounds like you weren't intending to, I'm going to start a blog and a podcast and everything else. It just sort of happened, didn't it? The blog did. Yeah, right. It just sort of happened where I'm like, okay, this is the way I'll document these church visits. Oh, people are receptive to it. That's kind of cool. Let me keep going with that. Other stuff I've done, YouTube, podcasting, that was a conscious decision. But the blog was, uh, oh, I can't believe people like this. All right, maybe I'll keep going with it. And hey, look, my archives are online and there. You could see what I was writing back then. I mean, I cringe at everything that I wrote (laughs) back then. It's like looking at an old picture of yourself or something. But it's like, you know what? No, that is what I honestly felt about this stuff. I, I know a lot of it is naive. A lot of it is stuff I would never say today, whether it's the language I used or the attitudes I held. Even today, I'm like, oh God, why would I say that? Why would I think that way? Mm. Um, or I was way too nice to those people. I shouldn't have been. Mm. Um, I don't think I'm friendly necessarily. <laughs> I think I'm, I, I would like to think I'm honest when I react to that stuff. But again, mm. a lot of part of the upside of doing this so publicly for as long as I've been doing it is throw your opinions right out there. And man, people are swift to respond if they disagree. And honestly, I've learned a lot from that. So that's not a bad thing. So what would you say you look at and maybe a little bit of regret now you're looking back on some of the stuff like you let these churches off the hook. Cause I know obviously your, your current stuff, you're talking about Christian nationalism. You're talking about, the prophets that, you know, predicted Trump was going to win and calling them out. And yeah. there's comes a point where religion does become toxic or can and damaging and hurtful, you know, conversion therapy, things like yeah. that. How did that, you know, come about from your earlier, maybe more naive days? I, I don't think I recognized how much harm and where that harm would come from, from churches mm-hmm. that I was looking at. Uh, there were things they were doing that I either glossed over or I didn't think it was a big deal. And for example, preachings about purity culture that I would have been like, okay, well, they're, they're religious. So they're not really into talking about that stuff or acting on it. Obviously I didn't realize how harmful it was until much later. So I'm sure if you look back at anything I wrote about that stuff, it would have come across as very naive. I think I was also super slow to trash other atheists Mm -hmm. who were, getting prominence, but also saying a lot of careless things along the way. I probably was way too hesitant to just push back against that. I feel like I weigh it now too. It's like, well, does anyone care what this person says right now? Um, But I am certainly more disillusioned by a lot of the more prominent atheists who get a lot of coverage, the Dawkins Mm. types, the the Sam Harris types, Hitchens, Mm -hmm. who's no, uh, who passed years ago. But it's like, okay, like I should have been more forthright. There were other people who were doing it. I wasn't. I should have. So it's, it again, I don't know that I would have come to those changes in my own thinking had I not been doing this publicly mm-hmm. for so long. Well, and that's the hallmark of the journey itself, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. The experience itself ends up shaping you into the person you're becoming. It's not that you, you don't know all that stuff. You didn't grow up in evangel- evangelicalism. You didn't go to snake handler churches. I mean, how would you right. know? And I think maybe I wonder too if the the sort of explosion of white evangelicalism during the Trump era 
does that sort of weigh into the shift that you're seeing now? Because it's yeah, so like, much more prominent now, isn't it? Yeah, and again, I definitely heard stories of other atheists talking about how their churches were probably heading in that direction. And mm-hmm. again, it's like, ah, eh, you're you experience that. You are probably bothered by it, but that's not what's really going on. I certainly felt some of that. And it's like, oh no, they were they were right to criticize it as much as they did. And maybe they didn't maybe they didn't go enough. Right. Um, so again, it, it's not that I would call myself an expert now by any means. But having watched what they're doing for this long, watching so many former religious people speak out and talk about this stuff, and you learn a lot from them as well, and you get a sense of, I think a lot of people, even those who are in the church, I can understand why they're hesitant to be atheists or use that word or leave the church because of how much community and positivity they get from being part of a club, um, any club. And also it's like, oh, I get why people don't like atheists either for a lot of reasons. So if I can address that and if I can be, I would hope, I would hope if someone is questioning their faith and they come across something I have written or created, certainly more recently than the old stuff, I would hope they see that and say, okay, I can get on board with that. The website is called Friendly Atheist. It's not because I'm friendly. It's because every time I heard a description of atheist, it was always militant angry staunch i'm gonna make you say friendly it doesn't describe me it's just because i'm gonna make you say it but i have definitely seen let's say youtube there are plenty of atheists on youtube who talk about it regularly and who would be off-putting to me now i mean certainly way uh 20 some years ago and now it's i hope that if you come across one of my videos you're like okay, fine, I can get on board with that. Or I will listen to what you have to say because I don't feel like you don't scare me. I hope mm-hmm. that's the, the thing I give off. And I hope even on my website where it's all more current events and politics, I hope there's a lot of readers who are religious who would see that and say, I, maybe I disagree with your opinion, but like, it's a fair criticism. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not taking people out of context. I don't want to do that. I'm quoting them. I'm offering the transcript and I'm explaining why it's a problem. Like, disagree with my analysis, but I would hope you can't say it's unfair because I see unfair all the time online. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. come on, you're cherry picking a quotation or you're quoting someone out of context or you're just willfully ignoring what they're actually saying. And I feel like the one thing I can offer is saying, no, this is what this person said. Here's what they believe. Now let's talk about what's wrong with it. And I feel like mm-hmm. that is something I've consistently done, I hope. Or at least if I'm mm-hmm. wrong, I try to correct that. And that's got to be a more receptive audience, isn't it? If you're going to just come at people and blast, you yeah. know, just hit them with a machine gun straight out of the gate, yeah. I mean, their defense, defense mechanisms that instantly go up, you're not going to let I mean, whatever it is, you can be talking about politics, religion, your favorite sports team doesn't matter what yeah. it is, you know, so that friendly atheist, at least you're encouraging dialogue and yeah. discussion. Let me add to that. I don't even care if they change their mind and I don't mm-hmm. care if they become atheists. And I think that has actually helped a lot. Mm-hmm. I no longer care what you, what any viewer right. or reader believes. It's you're like, I don't need you to agree with me. I'm putting this out there. I hope you come to my way of thinking about it. And if that makes yeah. you an atheist, great. But this is kind of like the guy who sent me to church where it's like, listen, I know what I would like for you to do, 
but I don't care. I'm in this for a different reason. And you're, I, I say this in a nice way, you're the tool I'm using to get there. Um, <laughs> and that's fine. I knew my role there. I'm kind of saying the same thing where I'm just saying, look, I'm putting my opinions out here on this. If you are Christian and you're reading it, I hope you recognize when I talk about conservative Christians or the harm that a, that a white evangelical church causes in a certain regard. Mm-hmm. I would hope a lot of religious people say that, see that and say, I agree with you on that. That's not the church I belong to or that's not a view I hold. So I'm not an atheist, but you're right about that. And I hope the more I can do that, the more you might look at some other situation and say, okay, you know what? My church may be trying to do this thing, but I know how that's going to rub some people the wrong way. So maybe I should use my influence to steer them Mm -hmm. away from that. Or at least in their own lives, where they might say, okay, this person is against abortion, but look at all the other things they're doing that is harmful. I really need to look at the totality of this and I can't bring myself to vote for that candidate. Like Mm -hmm. maybe I plant a seed along the way, I hope, but again, I'm not keeping track and I don't really care if anyone changes not their mind. Score. <laughs> I'm not keeping score. And I honestly think that helps because I'm not, if, if no one watches the YouTube videos or something, it's like, whatever, it was for me. That was not for yeah. you. If you benefited, great. Yeah, it's, yeah. I'm just doing this because I like putting it out there and I hope you yeah. find my stuff rather than the crappy stuff other people are putting out. Uh, there's tons um, of content out there. Thousands of hours of YouTube content being uploaded every minute. Right. Yeah. Right. How do you sift through it? There's a lot of crap. I hope you find mine. Yeah. Got to sift through a lot of stuff to get there. When we return from the break, we are going to get more into this issue of the worth, the value of dialoguing with another person with whom you may completely disagree. Can you find common cause? And that's really what this episode is all about. I appreciate the friendly aspect of Hemant's friendly atheist sort of platform. I just wanted to mention really quick before we get back into the conversation, a couple things that are really cool coming up in the next few episodes here. I'm kind of continuing the next actual episode that's going to drop with my series on Jerry Falwell Sr. We did one a couple weeks ago with Frank Schaefer talking about the origins of the Christian right and his meeting with Falwell Sr. way back in the day, back in the 70s and 80s, when him and his famous father Francis were trying to convince evangelicals to get on board with their anti-abortion platform. And then, of course, I did a monster episode over two, almost two and a half hours long, just on Jerry Falwell Sr., the legacy of the moral majority and what I believe is a through line to the sort of Trumpian white evangelical political base. That's really the base that Jerry Falwell and others helped to build back in the mid-1970s all the way up into the 80s. And then this next episode that's going to air is with Callum Best. And this is a really interesting way to kind of round out this series on the Falwells because Callum is actually a Liberty University graduate himself. He went through that system and it was back in 2020 that he and some other people from Liberty alumni as well as current students at the time formed this organization called Save 71. And that's exactly what it sounds like. They're trying to save Liberty University. At the time, they were trying to save it from Jerry Falwell Jr., who was the president. Of course, he's since been dismissed and disgraced and are surrounding all this scandal. 
but we had a really interesting discussion about why does he want to save Liberty? Why save 71, as it were? And he himself is on a really interesting journey. So we take a look at that and we analyze the legacy of Jerry Falwell Jr. as he adopted the mantle from his famous fundamentalist dad and then things like the Falkirk Center. Why is that even at Liberty University? Charlie Kirk formed this organization with Jerry Falwell Jr. And that's why it's called the Falkirk Center. So this is what's going on in Liberty University in that world now. So even though he is an evangelical still, he's done a lot of deconstructing. So that's a really fascinating discussion, kind of rounding out, as I say, the legacy of the Falwells and how it ended up. And then after that, I've got a discussion with Dr. Death, Dr. Terry Daniel. We are going to be talking about death and religion and mental health. Really far-ranging, fascinating discussion. I also had a really cool discussion the other day with Andrew Jasko. He's been on the show a few times. He's a specialist dealing with religious trauma syndrome. And we had literally a mind-blowing discussion about the use of psychedelics to treat religious trauma syndrome as well as PTSD. And so this is something that Andrew himself, he's a practitioner of psychedelics. So he knows what this is all about. He has found health and healing through the use of psychedelics, exploring that. And so we just had a literally a mind-blowing conversation. Basically, the science is now slowly catching up with millennia of people using psychedelics. People have been doing psychedelics for a millennia, forever, as long as there's been any sort of history. So this is a fascinating discussion. So if you suffer from PTSD or religious trauma syndrome, I think you're going to get something out of this discussion with Andrew as we talk about the use of psychedelics. So there's some really cool stuff coming up. Oh, and one other thing I have to mention, I'm going to be talking with Conway and Siegelman, who of course are the authors of Holy Terror. And we're going to be talking about their role in researching the origins of the Christian right. So again, this kind of goes along with my series on Falwell Sr., the legacy of the early formation of the Christian right. So look for that episode, probably a bonus episode with Conway and Siegelman coming out soon too. We've also got some MindShift Zoom calls this month in the month of March. We've got our patrons-only Zoom call on the 14th of March, followed then by Thomas Hanna, who was on the show a while ago. He's an ex-pastor and now a therapist who also deals with religious trauma syndrome. So he's going to be the first guest on our MindShift Zoom calls. And then we're going to have Andrew Jasko come in the following week. So both guys are really experts in RTS, but coming at it from very different sort of points of view. So how can you get on those calls? Well, the simple answer is become a patron of this show. If you support the show on Patreon, you get added into our closed MindShift Podcast Facebook group, and that gives you access to those MindShift Zoom calls that we do at least now twice a month, and then another one for patrons only. So the link to that is in the show notes. And in fact, speaking of which, I need to give a thank you to the latest members who are supporting the show on Patreon. Thank you to Barry Carroll, as well as to Beth Todd. I've just sent out some cool Welsh gifts the other day in the mail. I've sent out a MindShift Podcast t-shirt to Chrissy Florence in California for her support of the show at a $10 a month level. If you support the show at a $5 a month level, I'll send you something really cool that you can only get here in North Wales. So you can look at that on Patreon and pick your level of support. All right, so let's get back into the discussion with Hemant Mehta as we continue looking at this issue of finding common cause. Is it possible? Is it worthwhile? Let's find out what Hemant's got to say about it. Yeah. Well, is it worth dialoguing, though? Because, you know, you could say, all right, you're on a good project here. you got a good thing going. Yeah. Talk, if, if religious people are willing to dialogue in a respectful way, that's that, great. But that, what about the trolls? What about all the, you know, 
we've seen this recently with the Rabbi Zachariah stuff that's come out. Uh-huh. And there's a, a whole bevy of supporters of his ministry who are just, they admit, I guess now that he was wrong yeah. in what he did, but they are still defending his legacy to the death. And they are like coming after people and calling them out. You know, so you're like, how, how can we get a dialogue going yeah. with a group like that? It's it's a great question. And whether it's a dialogue about that sort of thing or just a debate on God's existence, I very much like I hate debates. I definitely hate them with strangers online. So mm-hmm. if they email about that or DM me about that, I either won't respond or just say no. Even with podcasts, it's very much like a, I'm not interested in debating this stuff. Because I just, I don't care if you change your mind. And I don't care if your listeners change their mind. And I definitely don't think I'm going to change the mind of someone who already disagrees with me. So like, why waste my time? That's not to say I don't have, I don't see value in that stuff. Because for a lot of people, as any debater will tell you, you're not trying to convince your opponent's mind. You're trying to change the audience's mind. So I Mm -hmm. get that. But I, I even try to avoid the conversations, like I said, in, in my real life too. Like even among friends, we don't talk about this stuff at all. Most of them know where I stand on this stuff. And so it's like, let's talk about the other things we have in common. But even among people I strongly disagree with, like I said, it is easier for me to keep doing this day in and day out when I don't care who I'm talking to and I'm speaking to an audience of nobody in particular, where it's like, I don't care if you change your mind. I am not here trying to argue with you or to fight you on this. Mm -hmm. I'm doing this for the people who maybe are stumbling across it and might change their mind. And for that, great. Like, so that's kind of, that helps a lot. So the dialogue, it's not a bad thing, but I'll leave the debating to other people. I would much rather just kind of go at this on my own. Um, And you, if anyone's following it, great. Well, in a weird way, your audience has to find you, you know, rather than you creating an audience. It is more organic in that sense, isn't it? That, you just start putting content out there with whatever you want to talk about. Hopefully someone will find you. You know, someone yeah. will go, hey, that guy's making sense. I'm interested in hearing more about what he or she has to say. I have said this to other atheists in the past, which is go do your thing. I don't care what medium you're using, whether it's YouTube or a blog or whatever. I mean, there are obviously some strategic tags you could put on your content so that strangers can find it. But it's like, okay, I've built up an audience over time. And I think people searching for atheist stuff, if you are having those questions, if I can put stuff out there with a way for you to get to it, if you are looking for it, I think you'll find me. Um, So good. Like, there's a way to do that. It's not like there's no way for people with no platform to not find an audience. It's easy to find an audience if you put out stuff and you do it in a smart way. But yeah, like it's more mostly I'm doing it for the people who want to follow my stuff and for strangers who might be looking up this stuff and want to know what does an atheist think about this? What is the perspective on this? You'll find it. I mean, it's not hard to find it if you're looking for it. So I, I think it helps to just make sure I'm providing a landing place for you if you happen to be looking for that stuff. But as you say, so you're now more focusing on current events because I think what originally drew me to your work on the Friendly Atheist site on Patheos was I was doing research back in November, early November and then in December with all the Trump prophecies. Yes. And you'd written some pieces about back in, I think, November and December when the election was kind of still in doubt. And yeah. there's this whole bunch of Christian charismatic prophets and apostles 
and they're still, you know, they're still doubling down, tripling down, right. denying everything. So at what point is there like a, a point where you go, okay, religion, this is becoming toxic. This is becoming damaging. And I need to call this stuff out. When it's obviously promoting a lie, not something on faith, because the stuff we are talking about right now, those prophetic mm-hmm. stuff, they're not just saying, believe in God, have faith in it. You can't do that one. It's just faith. But when they're actively promoting lies, it's like, no, there's no evidence for that. There's no reason to think that. And so I think calling it out in a way so that people who are looking for that stuff can see how absurd it is. I I want Christians to stumble upon those articles and say, well, that person's crazy who represents my side. Well, guess what? I've been posting that sort of thing multiple times a day for more than 10 years. I've I've never lacked for material. Maybe that's a problem with your faith. I've heard something. There's no shortage. And I've heard someone say, like, I'm going to call out every time an atheist does something like that. Good luck to you. Okay. Yeah. They've never followed through on that. But it's like at some point, I would hope people see what I'm seeing, the same videos, the same clips. It's like, I can't defend that. That person's insane. And at some point, I feel like they're going to hit a wall when they're saying, okay, those 90 people you posted about are insane who share my faith, but I have it right. It's like, at some point, you're going to connect the dots there. (laughs) I I don't have to do it for you. I don't have to do that in a book. I don't have to do the Dawkins like, well, you're part of that. I'll just let you connect it and it might even stick stronger because of that. Mm -hmm. It's not even just the kooks that I'm calling out because a lot of the Mm -hmm. people who end up, not the prophetic, like Trump is really secretly the president or something like that. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the people who say problematic things, the the purity culture proponents, the Mm -hmm. people who are anti-science are saying, you know, trans people are going to ruin your lives. Those are not, known as the kooks those are the regular Mm run-of-the-mill evangelical preachers pretty mainstream and at some point i would hope a lot of those followers too are saying okay it's not just the kooks who are crazy this is happening in my neck of the woods this is happening in my congregation so what are you going to do about it now that's absolutely correct i think you're so right because like for example christian nationalism you know we're seeing that and in, in, certainly in the Trump era, Sam Perry and Andrew Whitehead in their book, mm-hmm. they said basically that in the research they did, Christian nationalism was the number one factor th- where people decided whether to vote for Trump or not. If you believe right. in Christian nationalism, you're more likely to believe in Trump or vote for Trump. Yeah. Now you look at that and go, okay, I've been studying this movement for a long time. Christian nationalism is baked in to mainstream churches now yes then starts to filter into everything that pastors say churches do with their money their time i think the heads of the southern the head of the southern baptist convention just gave a speech recently where he basically said you guys were not called by jesus to save america basically saying don't fall for christian nationalism like what are we southern we're southern baptists what word there is more important to you implying we should follow the gospel. We should be Baptists. And that's clearly not what's happening in practice among that group. Um, But again, I would just want to make clear, there are a lot of progressive Christians who say, well, guess what? I believe in all the, the gospel stuff, but it's pointing me in this other direction. And we could have a debate on God's existence. We could have that exchange of ideas and this is a personal one for me where I'm just like, I don't care to debate them on that thing. 
I'm glad they're using their faith for something good. I, I agree with their politics, of course. But again, like they're inspired by their faith to help the poor by pushing progressive policies. And I, again, there is something fundamental about basing your uh, motivation for that on something that I don't believe is real. I think that opens the door to also believing a lot of crazy stuff. Mm. But again, like that's a lot. The progressive Christian movement is a lot harder to argue with because they're actually using their faith for good. That's wonderful. There is an underlying issue we ought to debate, but right now there's like a five alarm fire going off. Mm. Let's work together to combat that Christian nationalism you're talking about. They're closer to me than they are the right-wing Christians in practice. So it's like, you know what? I've actually seen in the past five years or so a lot more atheist groups who in historically have gone at it alone, whether it's writing briefs for the Supreme Court or putting out press releases by themselves saying, we oppose this thing. I've seen a lot more of those things where they are like, we're joining with this Baptist group that happens to be progressive Muslim organization who are all saying, you know, uh, we support real religious freedom for all, which also Mm. means the freedom to not believe. And it's like, yeah, you know what? We are in on the same side of this. So let's, yeah, let's work together with them and we'll save our God disagreements for another day because we got a more pressing issue. I've seen a lot more of that recently. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't like, that's an awesome, awesome thing. I've also seen some pushback from atheists who are like, Mm. how dare you? Like you should stop supporting Joe Biden, for example, because he's overtly religious and Trump is not. It's like, are you insane? Have you seen what they actually do in practice? And and I will push back against atheists who say that sort of thing. But again, what's more important, the belief itself or how you are acting on it? And I'm much more concerned about how people are acting on it. And so on my website and a lot of the work I do, I'm focusing on the practice of it and a lot less on the underlying beliefs. And that's a decision I've made. A lot of the atheist books that you would find out there, a lot of the arguments mm-hmm. about atheism focus much more on the underlying stuff. So yeah, just being an angry atheist, you can stand alone on that hill, can't you? But when you need people around you, is it wrong to, to partner up with a Muslim community or a Baptist church or something? Like you say, if you can find common cause, do you have yeah. to fight every single battle? You know, this is a hill I have to die on this hill and the next hill and the next hill. You're not going to get many. You're not going to take many hills, are you? And and if you understand, if you understand that, look, the God debate as far as like there's no objective winner to that thing, no matter what we think. So if we understand, look, we know we disagree on this. I actually I used to be pretty opposed to certain interfaith groups because they were ignoring that basic issue and mm. because historically they just kind of ignored atheists as well but they've a lot of the bigger interfaith groups have become much more receptive to non-religious people and again the idea of saying under let's say the Biden administration which so far has said we don't care what Joe Biden does in his private life. If he goes to church every week, if he's openly Catholic, whatever, doesn't bug me. Mm-hmm. What is he doing policy-wise? And if they're receptive to everybody and they're saying, we want to hear from you, we want representatives from your faith or your background or your atheism, and we want to hear from you when it, we come to decision-making, like that's what you want from a government. Mm-hmm. I don't need you deciding God for me. I don't need you picking favorites for me. Yeah. So- I'm more than happy to 
to support those other causes. And I'm happy to see that a lot of those atheist groups are working with those other religious groups as well. Absolutely true. I mean, it's it's so important to call this stuff out, isn't it? I mean, we saw during the Trump era, as you were saying, you know, you've got the evangelical evangelical advisory board. They're actually advising Trump on policy, like you said, that's right. going to affect millions of people, not just in America, but around the world, too. Right. We didn't have a say in those meetings. I wasn't there. You weren't there. I don't think so. Yeah. And no evangelical advisory board. That's right. And again, who's representing? It's not like they're going to invite one person or another, but it's what types of people are represented there. And again, Trump's whole thing is, well, I have black Christian nationalists and I have some white ones. See, diversity. It's like, (laughs) like, no, that's not that's not how it works. And to be fair, There's no uh, it's not like uh, Biden has formally announced any sort of uh, religious advisory council. I'm sure whenever they do that, they will have representatives from other religions, not just Christianity. But they we don't know if they're going to invite non-religious representatives because there are voices to hear from that side too. Obama did not. He Mm -hmm. did not have any representatives from our community my community. So it's like, okay, there's room for improvement there too. And believe me, we'll criticize this administration for the same reason. Mm -hmm. But again, substantively, there is a difference between those worlds. Exactly. If you're going to be representing, representing the whole of America, it's not just a white Christian nation as much as they (laughs) told us it is. (laughs) As much as they want it to be. Yeah. As much as they want it to be. America was a Christian nation and it should be that again. Right, you right. Know, that's a common refrain. Like I'm I'm seeing it, as I said, baked in, absolutely baked in to just standard, bog standard white Christianity or even black Christianity, people of color. Uh, right. There's a huge movement. And we saw this with Trump, Hispanics. Yeah. Cubans suddenly getting on board at yeah. the end of 2020. And you're like, wait a minute, this guy is again, he's anti-immigrant. This of uh, this community shocking how can you support this guy and yet they're probably more aligned with him which is religiously and politically this has actually been one thing i've gotten backlash for because i'm uh, biden has kept open the office of faith-based and neighborhood partnerships he's Mm -hmm. given it a leader they are still in um the beginning stages of kind of opening that back up and a lot of atheists are like you should have abolished the office altogether why does the government need faith outreach but strategically that's a pretty smart thing to do because of the reason you're saying it's like, there's a lot of religious communities who think wrongly that Democrats are out to get them. Republicans are the party of faith and stuff. So, you know what, if strategically, if he wants to use the government to say, we want to hear from all of you, we want representatives. We want to show you that what we are doing policy wise is not incompatible or oppressive to your faith. Like, that's fine. You should do that because I need you to stay in office for the things I want. Um, I hope you also do the same with atheists too. But like, yeah, strategically, Democrats need to do a better job of combating this lie that Republicans care about your faith and Democrats are actively opposed to it, which is not true. I promise you Democrats want nothing to do with atheists either. Mm. But like, you know what I mean? Like strategically, good. Go get them. All right. So last question. I'm, I'm curious to find out you've been following current events so much. And obviously you're talking about religion in those current events. Where do you see Christianity in America going as you kind of look down the road? Is it fading out? Is this kind of their last gasp? Was Trump their last gasp? Or are they going to gather steam during the Biden presidency and come back even stronger next time? 
It's a million dollar question right there. It's almost, mm -hmm. if this makes sense, like a K curve where the most Christian nationalist and fundamentalist churches are actually growing in many ways. It's the ones who yeah. are kind of moderate and don't have a position on that stuff that seem to be losing members. But again, if you ask like, what are young people drawn to? It's people with a position on this stuff. So if you're firmly saying, no, it's a Christian nationalist, anti-abortion, anti-gay, whatever church, you're going to find people to go. It's mm -hmm. like Fox News. Like you'll find yeah. people to watch it because there's an audience hungry for that stuff. But mm -hmm. at the same time, the resistance to that and maybe that resistance involves progressive Christians who are growing like as a political movement and yeah. resistance from people saying, you know what? Organized religion is not for me. Maybe I believe in something, but I cannot be a part of any church because sure. they're all too problematic for me. I think you're going to see a growth in that as well. So you have growth in some of these fundamentalist megachurches mm -hmm. and the, the Christian nationalist world. They're not going away anytime soon. But you also have no. more like the fastest growing religious, quote unquote, demographic in America are people without religion. Yeah, the nuns. not atheists, the nuns, not atheists, but mm -hmm. people who are just like, I don't want to be a part of that movement. Maybe I believe, but it's a more personal thing. It's a private thing. Um, and that's fine. Good. The less organized religion you have, it's exactly. probably good for all of us. I will say I even atheists are growing, but it's not in uh, organizations, it's not necessarily as a thing. I think people are becoming more comfortable with the term. They're not bothered by it. I think it's kind of, I don't want to draw too many parallels here, but it's kind of like the gay rights movement where at some point, pretty much everybody knew somebody who was gay and it's a lot harder to demonize people you know. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot more people know people who are not religious. And it's like, oh yeah, they're fine people. Like I can't pretend that you're somehow immoral or evil yeah, because I know no you. Compass. Yeah, which is <laughs> what you might hear at a certain church. But oh, when, yeah. but people in high school age, if you go to a public high school anywhere, really, it's like, oh, no, I know people who are non-religious. They're fine. Mm -hmm. We're friends. I have no problem yeah. with that. So I think that's growing, too. I think what you're going to lose are kind of the, the churches that don't really take sides on this stuff. Because mm. silence is a problem for both sides. Right. Silence so, is not golden in this case. Yeah. And well, so, there's always a Greg Locke out there. That That's the thing, isn't it? A guy yes. like Greg Locke right now, he's blown Those up. Independent and, fundamentalist Baptist yeah. type preachers who are fire and brimstone yeah. and all in on conservative politics. Yeah. Those people, I, I think I've heard from a lot of people because I cover a lot of those types. And they're always like, why do you post about them? They're all fringe figures. And it's like, they're not on the fringe. This is becoming more mainstream. Exactly. These people are getting elected to Congress now. Yeah. Like, Marjorie I know Taylor they Green. seem, yeah, they all seem kooky, but I'm telling you, they have a following. And individually, maybe they don't have like mega church followings, but as a movement, they attract a lot of people. They are brainwashing a ton of people. So hmm. again, what's the way to combat that? I honestly think just, showing people here's what they're saying here's what they're doing look at it i'm not making it up i always try to do this it's like here's the clip here's the transcript mm. i'm not taking them out of context here they are doing this in your faith and i've said this for so many years now like i wish it wasn't just atheists fighting i've said this with lawsuits too, church state separation lawsuits i hate it when atheists are the only ones calling it out calling mm. out those bad pastors fighting these lawsuits it's like, no, why aren't more progressive religious people calling this stuff out too? Because you should be. You agree with me on this stuff. Mm. 
I, I wish more of them would do it. And I know some of them are, and sometimes they're just, they feel like there's no amplification or no one's listening, mm. but what we need are more people of faith to say, you don't represent my faith. That is not what the gospel says. I oppose you. I'm doing it publicly. And there was actually, I think I just read yesterday, there was like a open letter signed by like a hundred evangelical preachers, maybe, maybe many more now, uh, just saying Christian nationalism is not what we stand for. And that's good. Mm -hmm. That's, that's yeah, awesome. I saw but that. as still in their letter, they're like, don't let those fringe minority of Christians distort or what did they say? Mutate or some version radicalize our oh, faith. Yeah. It's like, buddy, you're the anomaly here now. Like, that's what true. are you going to, I appreciate you're what you're, fringe. yeah, I appreciate what they're doing, but at what point are they going to realize, listen, you don't have your faith. You're the weird one in your faith now, yeah. because most of them are on the other side. You got to grapple with that. And I appreciate them speaking out, but we need more people doing that. And not just the pastors, not just the group leaders like um, uh, William Barber. You want more young people. You want more youth pastors. You need more Christians who are not necessarily leaders in their churches speaking out against this, taking stands on this. I don't need them to be atheists. I, mm -hmm. I want them calling out their churches for bad behavior. It's so heartening to see more people like that calling out, telling stories on Twitter. I'm um, saying, sure. you know what? I experienced spiritual abuse in my church. I'm still Christian, but here's what I went through. We saw with uh, Ravi Zacharias where Oh, they yeah. might say, I didn't personally experience anything with them, but I sure know someone like that. Mm. It's like, good, we need to hear those voices more. I wish more uh, prominent megachurch preachers, pastors would like highlight those voices using the Absolutely. platforms they have. It's true. And along with the Me Too, the hashtag Me Too, then there was the church too, yeah. which kind of came off the back of that one, which opened up a huge can of worms. You know, we don't want to talk about that, but man. Church yeah. abuse, it's sexual abuse, spiritual abuse, all kinds of emotional abuse in churches. Mm -hmm. And these are the mainstream ones. Yes. And, and that's a, that's maybe a subject for another topic. And again, how many yeah, how many of those churches oh, covered man. up or ignored yeah. abuse in their own things? And again, the point is it's not on the fringe. It's not one or two churches. This no. is a whole culture that needs to change. And so again. I feel like my role in that is saying, look, here's the problem. It's easy for me to trash it. These are not my people. I don't go to these yeah, churches. No, but, but many of you who are reading this, I hope, are mm -hmm. part of those communities. And you know what? The churches do care what you have to say. They do care if you're threatening to leave their church or pull your money from those churches yeah, yeah. or call them out on it. All the more reason for more people. And I know it takes courage to do this. It's so much easier said than done. And I know that coming from an atheist, it's definitely easier said yeah, than done. You have no stake in it. I don't. But for more people to find the courage to do that, or at least, at the very least, support or defend the people who are, because exactly. a lot of times they seem to go at it alone <laughs> and, and they, yeah. they get shunned by their communities, formally Absolutely. or informally. So, you know, do what you can to support them. Yeah. Like you said, the purity culture thing, part of the toxicity of it is not only is there a lot of abuse, but then the victims, when they come forward, oftentimes women are yeah. silenced and shamed and shunned. And so that yeah. just devolves into the whole cycle of abuse. They can't even speak out because they're right. not believed. Very, and these, again, mainstream churches. We're not talking yeah. about the nuts out there. 
I mean, we've all seen if there's a story that goes out about a church where something awful happens, man, yeah. those comment threads where like it's Facebook, it's their theoretically their real names. It's like, man, there's a lot of support from people who feel no shame mm-hmm. in voicing their support of the church and how it right. acted. It's like, oh man, no wonder more people aren't speaking out. It's tough. Exactly. But this is some of the reason why millennials in particular are leaving churches. Isn't yeah. It? Like you said, they're going out and okay, maybe they're still finding some semblance of spirituality. God, right. They are not coming to my side. Yeah. Not necessarily. They're not coming. Yeah. But they're walking out of church and you know what? Fine. Good for them. I, I, like I said, I don't care if they become atheists. That's not my primary goal. It's a really hard thing to walk out of those churches and to say, I may believe in Jesus, but I can't call myself a Christian because of X, Y, and Z. And so they leave. And it's like, that's so hard to do. Good for you. And what are we doing? Uh, People like me, other groups, like, good. What can I do to help you? What can I do to support you or at least amplify you? That is something I might be able to provide. But I hope they find the support they need. And I think if you're asking what's the future of the church, if the church can't accommodate those reactions and doesn't have a good response for those people who are fed up with the culture, They're going to lose them for good. And they're not just going to lose those people. They're going to lose their families down the line. So it's an, it should be an existential crisis for these churches. Um, I haven't seen them respond as a whole in a way that's going to keep it. So, Hmm. you know, Christian nationalism is scary. It's not going away, but also it's not like there's a lack of another side to it. They just need to get their act together. Well, I appreciate your perspective. I think you're absolutely right. If you're going to just come against people and fire out of that machine gun at them, they're never going to respond, are they? But I I love the fact that you're able to articulate it. So in terms of resources, how can people find your work? Where's the best place to sort of get a hold of your stuff? Sure. Uh, Friendlyatheist.com is my website. That's kind of the primary hub of everything. If you go on YouTube and search Friendly Atheist, you'll find my stuff too. Just Google it. You'll find it. Or just, I don't know, type in atheist. If I'm not there, something went wrong. So right. I'll work on it. But yeah, any any of those places are awesome places to find me. Uh, there's Twitter too. Google it. You'll find it. Yeah, you can find it out there. Just look up the Friendly Atheist and, and him at Meta. You'll find somewhere yeah. you'll, you know, Google. Don't worry. Things. Google will f- fix your spelling. It's all good. There you go. <laughs> Listen, thank you so much. This has been a great conversation. I really enjoyed meeting you finally and talking and getting some, you know, interesting talking points out there. Likewise. Thank you, Clint. I appreciate okay. it. Those are fun thank questions. You. Yeah, take care. I'll see you again. You too.